Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Friday, February 9th, 2024 edition of the award-winning On Iowa Politics podcast. On this week's episode, we will discuss Governor Reynolds' gender ID bill, a proposal to put R's and D's on local elections, and Big Library comes out in numbers to oppose legislation at the Iowa Capitol. Hello, everyone. I'm Aaron Murphy, the Des Moines Bureau Chief for the Gazette in Cedar Rapids, and I am absolutely thrilled to tell you that on Thursday night at the annual Iowa Newspaper Association Convention, this podcast on Iowa politics won first place for best podcast in the largest division. I am so over the moon proud of our team here. Um, And so I I wanted to give everybody their little moment in the sun. So as I introduce you all, uh, please, uh, everyone, give me your best, but very brief, uh, victory speech. We do have business to tend to today, so uh, fair warning, if you go long, I will play you off stage. All right, so with me this week are Gazette Deputy Bureau Chief Tom Barton. Hello, Tom. You love me. You really, really love me. <laughs> <laughs> we also have Lead Des Moines Bureau Chief Caleb McCullough with us. Hello, Caleb. Hello, Aaron. Well, growing up with a young boy and rural Iowa. My greatest dream was to be an Iowa podcaster. And uh, and this is really just the, the, the culmination of all my hard work. And I, I do expect uh, our appearance fees to increase here. Um, just to, I'll, I'll send that invoice to Lee. Yeah, uh, I'll, I'll negotiate that for you, Caleb. How does triple your salary for the podcast sound? I'll take it. All right, done. Uh, Sarah Watson, I'm so sad of the Quad City Times couldn't be with us this week to celebrate. So I will accept her share of this award on her behalf. We have Jared McNett of the Sioux City Journal with us. Hello, Jared. Shout out to my many haters and all the losers out there, Aaron. And uh, uh, totally unrelated, since it is uh, a couple days before the Super Bowl, got to get it out. Uh, go, KC, go. Yeah, understandable. That that had to happen. Uh, we also have Gazette columnist Todd Dorman with us. Hello, Todd. Hey, I'd like to think that my... Uh back in the day segment has really been an asset to this podcast. And, and speaking of that, you know, the last time I won an INA award, a horseman brought it from Des Moines in, a, in the rain. It was, it was really, he was really brave. So I, I, I'm glad to have a, a new one. And I've, I've wanted to podcast since I was young and there weren't podcasts. So they hadn't been invented yet, but I knew they would be. And, and that's it. <laughs> I love, I love that you've named the, the segment now, giving it an official <laughs> segment name for every time I... You know, Todd, you're the one who's been around the longest. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, I also want to give time to our awesome producer, Bailey Chihan, who's chiming in uh, with us today as well. Hey, Bailey, how's it going? Hey, Aaron. Wow, it's great to have my voice on the podcast for once. I was there to physically accept the award for all of these great people, but I'm so... So um, proud of the work that they've done, and I'm glad to be a part of the team. Awesome, thanks so much, Bailey, and, and we appreciate you more than you know. So that and that, yeah, that I forgotten to mention that uh, Bailey was at the convention. Uh, I was at another meeting and getting texts from Bailey and and Tom and uh, over the moon uh, when I when I saw the news. So finally, again, I'm Aaron Murphy, and I just want to say uh, I'm, I'm going to go all serious on y'all, uh, just how proud I am of this group. As you've already heard, we have a little fun here every week, uh, but we do it while also delivering honest and, and serious analysis of a very important topic impacting Iowans. So so it's really great to get a little recognition for our little podcast, and 
um, as I'm looking at uh, each little window here uh, on my computer monitor. You all deserve this honor, so congratulations to you all. Uh, it's very cool. I also want to give uh, a quick shout out and thanks to all our On Iowa Politics podcast alumni. I can't help but uh, remember all the folks uh, who have come before us, right? That's what you do in, at award season. <laughs> so starting with the venerable James Lynch, uh, our fearless leader for so many years, uh, Mike Weiser, who was, uh, I believe, in this from the start uh, with James. Uh, people like Ed Tibbetts, Brett Hayworth, Christinia Krippis, Amy Rivers. We share this little honor with you all. And, and uh, man, as I read off those names, it reminds me that one of these days, and I've, I've run this by some of them, we got to do an alumni episode sometime with, with all those folks. That, that'd be really cool. So, so obviously, we're proud and excited. So thanks for <laughs> sticking through our little uh back padding session so um i think i've milked that for more than it's worth let's get down to business here uh first up this week at the iowa capitol when one transgender rights store closes another one opens apparently uh very shortly after house republicans decided against advancing a proposal that would have changed how transgender iowans are protected under the state civil rights act governor kim reynolds the next day introduced legislation that would define man and woman in state law and originally would have required transgender Iowans to note both their pre- and post-transition genders on their state-issued driver's license. That latter piece has since been taken out of the bill during the early steps of the legislative process. Uh, Tom, you covered that legislative hearing. It was another uh, eventful day at the Capitol that day. Dozens of people came out to protest the bill, spoke inside the hearing room, protested outside. He was a little scene-setter for the folks who weren't there. What was it like covering that hearing and that day at the Capitol. And it sounds like who knows what happens, but we may get another taste of it pretty soon uh, with a public hearing scheduled on the books now. Yeah, it was a bit of deja vu. It kind of felt a little bit like uh, Groundhog Day, as you mentioned, um, you know, just the the, the prior week, um, you had hundreds of um, Iowans uh, who were at the Capitol to um, protest that bill that would have stripped gender identity out of um, the Civil Rights Act. Um, and then fast forward to this week, um, and it was um, kind of a similar scene. It was a smaller crowd, but a still very um, kind of boisterous, rowdy group that um, was really upset and frustrated by what they see as continued attacks against transgender Iowans. So, you know, transgender Iowans, civil rights advocates and their allies packed a, a committee room and hallway for, again, the second time in as many weeks to voice opposition to legislation that they decried as unconstitutional and, and blatantly discriminatory. Activists stomped, shouted, chanted profanities and, and chanted trans rights or human's rights outside a committee room Tuesday, again, in vehement opposition to the proposal by Governor Kim Reynolds that they argued would erase transgender Iowans from, from state code. As you noted, Aaron, the bill would define man and woman uh, based on a person's sex at birth. It was amended and advanced by Republicans in the House Education Committee on Tuesday. They removed the part of the bill that would have required transgender Iowans to include their sex assigned at birth on their driver's licenses. Sex change information would still be required, though, on transgender Iowans' birth certificates. And as you mentioned, on Monday, there is a uh, one-hour public hearing scheduled uh, for 5 to 6 p.m. Uh, Monday in room 103 of the Supreme Court chamber at the Iowa State Capitol. 
um, that it was a request that came from House Democrats. Um, they, during uh, Tuesday's committee meeting, made that request of Republican leadership um, that there be a public hearing uh, scheduled to allow Iowans to voice their thoughts and, and, and concerns and comments on the governor's proposal. Speakers will be limited to two minutes each and will alternate between those in favor of the bill and those opposed for as long as time allows. Um, written testimony is encouraged but not required. Um, and um, we've got more details and information about that public hearing and how people can sign up to speak or submit uh written comments um on uh, the gazette's website yeah it's, it's and and like i said it'll be it'll be interesting not just the testimony uh on that monday night but whether we get another in mass uh, uh visit of folks to the capitol on, on, on an issue that's clearly uh people feel strongly about including our own todd dorman who wrote a couple times about uh this sort of stuff this past week. And, and Todd, I think it's fair to summarize and correct me if I'm wrong, that you're not the biggest fan in the world of these bills. Give us a little snippet of what you talked about in your columns this week and, and your thoughts on these proposals. Well, I, you know, the governor's bill, the, I mean, one of the biggest red flags is it actually has a definition of separate, but equal yeah. within its text, which is supposed to mean that uh, state owned or state funded facilities can create separate but equal spaces for transgender people uh and I, and I don't think you have to be a you know have to hold a doctorate in history to understand that that term is loaded down with a lot of weight from the civil rights movement and plessy versus ferguson and jim crow laws and all of those things you know water fountains and hotel rooms and bathrooms all separate for uh for for black americans during the you know the first half more than first half of of the 20th century uh so separate but equal is uh is is loaded and to have it in a bill i it, in the iowa legislature is pretty remarkable yeah hey, todd can i just real quick yeah. on that because i want to get your thought that's also and and i wish i could remember the bill now off the top of my head but there there's been a, a similar approach not quite as far as this one goes but they wrote into the law something to the effect of, but this law doesn't violate the Constitution. <laughs> as, if, yeah. like, as if by just saying that in the law makes that case. And, and this sort of feels like that like a little bit. Like I just found that, that particular part of the bill um, really fascinating from a legal standpoint. I, I, I don't see how that, look, I'm, I'm not a judge or an expert, um, but I, I don't see how that stands up in, in court. Yeah. Sorry, Todd, I was just curious. No, that's okay. And basically the bill is written in such a way that uh, creates these definitions of men and women, mothers and fathers, boys and girls, that sort of build a legal wall around transgender people. There's very few ways for them to assert their identity legally within the laws of the state. It's going it, to, it's going to impact non-discriminatory, you know, policies that the state uses. It's going to affect adoptions and, you know, it's, it's unnecessarily complicating the lives of, of, uh, of transgender Iowans. It could affect their insurance coverage. I mean, there's just all sorts of ways that we don't even know at this point that this could be bad for those, for those folks. And all of this is as usual is is partially is for the 
most part, a, a, a political ploy to sort of make, to excite outrage uh, evangelical Republican conservative voters. Uh, but, but, you know, it's, I used to think that's all it was, but I've, I'm looking at these bills and listening to the governor, I'm, I'm beginning to believe, or I do believe that this is actually, this is something that she strongly supports. You know, even her last campaign ad of, of the cycle was Iowans know the difference between boys and girls, which uh, the problem is that the transgender people don't conform to her views of society and religion and morality, and therefore they have to be punished by the law of the state, which is not really how this is supposed to work. So I'm not a fan, and I hope uh, cooler heads prevail, but I'm afraid that bill in some form is probably going to become law. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's what's interesting to me is what kind of future uh, that one has. Um, it, it got moved this week uh, down on, in one day. They put it out of subcommittee and committee to, to get it past the funnel. So, um, yeah, it'll definitely be interesting to watch that. Jared, were you going to say something? Yeah, um, Tom, you had a you had a quote in your story from uh, someone uh, with uh, Governor Reynolds that was saying um, it's unfortunate that defining a woman in code has become necessary to protect spaces for women's health, safety, and privacy that are being threatened, like domestic violence shelters and rape crisis centers. And what kind of stuck out to me about mentioning um, domestic violence and rape is that the Department of Justice has numbers that actually show how uh, transgender people face high degrees of risk of experiencing sexual violence, particularly at the hands of like caregivers and members of law enforcement. So it was interesting to that they were raising those particular concerns, which have statistical contradictions out there. Yeah, you're you're right. And I guess it, it should be noted or, or pointed out that um, this bill is kind of a extension or outgrowth of the legislation that lawmakers passed on the governor signed into law um, to protect uh, women and girls uh, sports. Um, so, you know, we've heard that, again, lawmakers and the governor um, signed legislation um, prohibiting, you know, transgender individuals from participating in women's and girls athletic events and, and competitions, and that now they feel that um, this is also needed or required to, as you mentioned, Jared, protect or, or make sure that places like, according to them, prisons, domestic violence shelters, locker rooms, restrooms, rape crisis centers, um, you know, places where people may need to be separated based on their sex assigned at birth, that, um, that, that, that this would, would do that. And the governor's bill says that the term equal does not mean same or identical, and that separate accommodations are uh, not inherently unequal. And, mm -hmm. and as you mentioned, um, the governor's office saying that um, men and women are not identical and that they possess unique biological differences and arguing that that's not controversial, it's common sense. And again, unfortunate that defining a woman in code has become, again, necessary to protect these these spaces. Well, it's, it's interesting, too, that that the both both the Iowa, both Iowa coalitions against domestic violence and sexual assault are against the bill. So I guess they're not terribly worried about those protecting women from transgender women in those spaces. 
during the um, hearings, did anyone raise the concern at all about the possibility of someone um, having to use um, gender-specific facilities that don't line up with how they present to and exist in the world? Because I could imagine that becoming an issue. Um, I, I I don't recall that being a, a, a big concern. I mean, the, the the largest issue that was brought up during the hearing had to do with the requirement of um, putting your pre and post uh, uh, gender transition sex on on your driver's license, and 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 that was a, a big sticking point. Again, the bill was amended to remove that, but a lot of people talked about how that would require transgender Iowans to essentially out themselves um, any time that they have to present their ID to someone and that um, it was um, a, a huge violation of, of their privacy, arguing that now they have to put, um, uh, you know, personal, private, confidential medical information on their, their driver's license, you know, stating whether or not they've had uh, uh, you know, gender transition uh, surgery or, or, or treatment. And um, there were a couple who drew comparisons of that requirement in the bill to um, the pink triangles that were sewn onto the shirts of gay men in concentration camps in Nazi Germany. Um, I make a little uh, pitch here. Some of the stuff we've been talking about, if, if you're, depending on which and when you're listening to this podcast, although you can see it online anytime, if you want to try and catch Iowa Press this weekend, Caleb asked Democratic Senator Pam Yoakum about this, and she had a very distinct response. I, I, I want to make it a little tease, so uh, try and catch that if you can. And you can, uh, and you can see me uh, grossly embarrass myself live as well. Oh, so man. Look, look. I'll, I'll leave know, that secret for what it is. Yeah, we'll leave that secret, too. Just know that I will say in advance without being a spoiler here, it was a very there, but for the grace of God, go I moment, Caleb. It, it happened to you, but it could have been any one of us. So you can you can catch it on uh, Super Bowl Sunday, right? That's right. That you can be yeah. part of your pregame routine. Uh, catch Iowa Press at noon. Uh, then then you got time to get your snacks and everything else ready, uh, lined up for the for I, the for Taylor I, Swift. And then I think there's a football game or something. I don't think I don't think we can say the s bowl don't we have to call it like the big game oh yeah no they even took like the that. big game as i understand because oh, so the, many so many companies were doing exactly the, that the uh 2023-24 nfl season finale is that could we can call it that the old the old nfl afl just, championship game we'll call it that just call it uh just call it the psyop plenty of people will know what that there you is. go yeah right right at this yeah. point it's a it's the uh puppy bowl post game <laughs> we call it that <laughs> oh man all right moving on another bill at the capitol this week would require partisan primaries in local elections that historically have been nonpartisan. it would also require general election candidates to note to which political party they belong which they do not currently do so basically what we're talking about here are school board elections city council elections that type of stuff which is always uh, again technically been nonpartisan. now I say technically because I'm not naive, and, and in recent years there have been instances where candidates in local elections, um, I think last year's school board elections is a good recent example, were nonpartisan in theory, but were definitely wildly partisan in practice. But it would be a big change by actually just admitting that and going and turning these into partisan elections. 
Caleb, you covered it. What was the discussion? I'm curious. What was the discussion like at the subcommittee hearing on that one? Yeah, um, it was definitely some interesting discussion. Um, I I don't know if if this is this is probably you know representative of the general idea, but it also may have just been um, representative of who was interested enough to come. But pretty much everybody who spoke in favor of the proposal was um, a conservative activist or a conservative think tank in in one way or another. So that seemed to be kind of uh, where it was where there was support for the bill, and as also on the the lawmaker side, um, that those are the Republicans are the ones that support the bill. Um, but you know, from them, the biggest argument that they made um, was that party identification is a signal to voters um, that tells them where a candidate generally aligns for local elections. You know, you're not usually getting a ton of information about the candidates, especially if you're in a district, you know, where there's not a lot of news coverage and, and that kind of thing. Um, you can, you know, you can find their phone number, try to call them up. You can go to public forums, things like that, but not every voter is going to do that. So it's a, you know, their argument is it's a, it's a, it's a signal to um, to voters as far as, you know, this, these candidates will generally align with my principles. They also pointed to studies, and, and this does seem to be true um, in, in the kind of political science research, that nonpartisan races um, lower, like, they're, they have lower voter turnout than partisan races, not, you know, factoring in the the size of the, of the um, districts and stuff. But um, people just generally don't come out as much um, for that kind of race. And um, they also tend to favor incumbents because people, you know, if they see a list of names and they don't know who they are, they're going to pick, oh, that's my city councilman. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, their argument being that this would improve voter turnout and uh, it would, you know, make uh, voters more engaged in these elections. Um, then, of course, there was the argument uh, that uh, these these races are partisan in all but uh, in all but letter of the law. And that, you know, it would reflect um, the reality of, of a lot of these races. So that was the kind of four argument. Uh, the people opposed um, the Democratic member on that committee and also um, a number of kind of uh, school and city groups. Um, one big argument was, you know, that these are these are offices that generally don't deal with political issues. They are more obviously now, um, especially at the school board level. But, you know, they're still, you know, most of what they deal with is new playground equipment and, you know, hiring uh, schools or school or city staff and these kind of things that, you know, it would inject uh, a level of partisanship that is unnecessary um, and and just, uh, you know, into these races. So that, you know, that was one argument. And then this specific bill also said that um, cities and schools would, would have to pay for the primaries that are run in their districts and it doesn't give an option, you know? So, so they said that that That's would be just... Oh yeah, and un and un uh, a waste of money, um, and just like they would rather be able to use that money on other things. Um, so yeah, that was kind of a, a big uh, layout of the of the conversation. And I was I was curious about the the paying uh, aspect too, because I, I I guess I, I I'm not totally sure. My understanding is um you know legislative and, and congressional primaries that's all paid for by the state, right? Right, right, yeah. So that so that's so that's so, the yeah, big difference yeah, in this that, case. That was uh, that was an interesting thought. Yeah. Interesting. The old the, the return of the unfunded mandate. You can never go too far in a session without one of those. Jared, I'm curious how you think a, a law like this would impact your coverage, Jerry. I mean, there's only like four Democrats up there, right? Everybody knows who they are, anyways. Um, I think there could maybe still be some uh impact. Um, and kind of along some of the lines Caleb was talking about, party affiliation is a shorthand for a certain number of voters, and you know, they see Democrat or Republican, and they just keep checking that all the way throughout the ballot. Um, and even in uh, Northwest Iowa, you know, there have been folks get elected in local elections who certainly lean um, Democratic, and that might not be the case if there are um, party designations 
Um, but I, I do think the counter to that is that, um, you know, local elections can still very much be about the personalities and not really the party designations, especially in, you know, smaller areas where you have a good chance of just knowing the, the people in a more personal way. Um, the one thing I was wondering about, and I, I'm curious what somebody else thinks, um, if this does pass, do you think we see more money flowing into like very, very local uh, races because of that? Yeah, I mean, you could certainly make a case for that and 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 that it's already kind of started anyways, as we've been talking about with this, certainly at the school board level. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I, I could I could see I could see that. Anybody else want to take a crack at that? I was just going to say, yeah, that definitely will happen. We'll also see more groups, outside groups coming in. Uh, you know, it's it, the best argument that made me laugh was the guy from Opportunities. Uh, what's the name of the group? It's from Florida. Uh, Opportunity, Opportunity Solutions. Solutions, yeah. 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 Saying that basically we need, you know, to have partisan elections because voters don't have enough information or low information voters. So I guess we're going to go from low information voters to no information voters, because if they just vote on party affiliation, they're not going to know anything necessarily about what those candidates are going to do anyway. And so uh, I don't know if Republicans fill potholes differently than Democrats, but I guess we'd find out if they're going to, if they're going to uh, pass this. I also think this uh, push coming from conservatives is interesting because um, something that I think People have uh, a lot of people have pointed out of in the last few elections um, this kind of national trend, but I think it, it it works here too. Is that Democrats are starting to have an advantage in uh, lower turnout elections, in elections that are more uh, like like the Kansas special election, um, some of the the school board elections here this year. Uh, these these elections that are around more, I guess, more people who are more plugged in um, care about, and and so I think that. This could help Republicans on these uh, school boards and and city councils if if it you know became a party operation and 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 you know you could go out and you could vote for your party and you didn't have to learn who who all the people were. So it's uh, interesting to see that that's the kind of direction it's coming from. The NSA and the Iowa Democratic Party are in cahoots and they are in our podcast, guys. I just got a press release with a statement from Rita Hart on this exact bill that's creepy dude <laughs> like i'm not kidding iowans want less politics and local government not more nonpartisan local elections are a centuries-old tradition that is good for the civic health of our communities when these races are nonpartisan, iowans can pick the candidate who is best for the job without worrying about what letter is next to the candidate's name <laughs> literally just came in seconds ago as, that... as caleb was finishing that thought that's wild is that why the black helicopters have been hovering outside my house this morning? I wonder what no, was going on. No, that's something else, uh, Todd. I didn't mean to give you a heads up on that. We'll, we'll talk after the podcast. Well, another thing that jumps out at me, would, would this mean there would be the potential then, too, of like nominating conventions for like city council uh, races if there isn't anyone that, you know, is nominated in the primary. Yeah, I mean that's well. And does the that do these primaries have the same you know requirement levels that the other primaries do? I think there's a lot of questions like that to be asked about how this would be implemented. Uh, Jared, I don't look. I'm I'm not, I don't like to get into the prognostication game too much. This doesn't feel like one that has a super bright future in the legislature. But I've been proved wrong before, so who knows? We'll see. 
Sorry, go ahead, Caleb, before we move on. Getting in. No, I was just saying we noted kind of getting into the weeds of the, the legislative process that this was a this is the bill in the education committee proposed by the education committee chair. That's uh, right. So, you know, he can schedule a subcommittee. He can bring it up. He can do whatever he wants. Election bills are generally in the like recent years has been have been handled by a different lawmaker. And it, it, usually that it's kind of the yeah. signal that it's actually a larger party priority. So, yeah. Yep. Thank you. for That's a great. Thank you for the reminder on that, Caleb. I'd forgotten about that. To drill home Caleb's point, this bill was not brought up in the committee that an elections bill would normally run through. It was brought up by a, a, an individual, Representative Skylar Willie, who also just happens to be chair of a different committee. So he decided to bring it up in his committee. You're right. That also probably gives us an indication of whether there's even support within the House Republican caucus. It's been weird, too, because they, the Education Committee got that gender identity bill yeah. also, which what has that got to do with the Education Committee? But yeah, for, for some reason, that committee has sort of become the clearinghouse for, for stuff that uh, Caleb indicated, stuff that we don't we don't know what's going to happen to it. Yeah. So so to your point on that, the reason why it went through the Education Committee is because the chair of that committee, Skylar Wheeler, uh, requested that bill, requested that the governor's gender identity bill run through his committee because um, that was the committee that did the um, trans or the the ban on uh, transgender individuals participating in women's and girls' athletics. And so when I asked Skylar Wheeler about that, he said, "Yeah, I wanted that bill. You know, we did the the transgender you know athlete ban, and so felt that uh, that was the the appropriate." place for them to to take it up well you gotta you gotta protect hull from the the transgender onslaught all right speaking of protections the librarians came out this week to protect their libraries yours truly covered a subcommittee hearing on legislation that would give city councils the authority to change the operations of a public library it was interesting for a couple reasons one the library folks came out from far and wide in iowa and in strong numbers uh, but it's also interesting to hear Representative Carter Nordman, the Republican who chaired the subcommittee, say afterward that he would be open to an amendment that would carve out content selection. So even if city councils were given more authority over other matters, library officials would still remain in charge of choosing books, which is what opponents of this bill are most concerned about. Um, I'm not predicting whether that amendment will come to fruition, just because Nordman said he's open to it doesn't mean any other House Republicans are. Uh, but it was just inter interesting to hear him say that when usually they play those kinds of things a little closer to the vest. I don't know if, uh, uh, Jared, if you've been hearing about this back home or if Todd, if, if um, folks have been talking about this one. It, it was an interesting one at, the, at uh, another one that uh, folks got, uh, a lot of folks got upset about and heard some interesting testimony uh, at the subcommittee on. Yeah, I'm starting to get letters and guest columns about it from librarians and people who are on the, the state library commission things like that yeah he may be open to that amendment but if the if the city councils are going to take greater control over the budgets of those libraries they really don't have to come out and say we're we don't want you to buy this book they'll just say well we're we're going to cut your funding we're not going to give you enough money to buy the book and you you probably know why, don't you? So we don't have to say anything. That's a fair point. Making this uh, a fiscal matter feels like a little bit of an uphill slog because, you know, for most cities, including Sioux City, library budgets are not a sizable chunk of the uh, overall city budget. 
So it, it seems a little strange to be making that solely about a, a fiscal responsibility kind of thing. Well, and I was confused. I mean, the public no longer gets to vote on library levies. Is that one of the things that it does, or am I that, wrong? That, as I understand, was in the original bill, but got taken out. Oh, okay. so that part is not in it anymore. Because I was going to say that could actually lead to higher library levies, like Cedar Rapids charges as little as you can. They've tried repeatedly to get that raised, but voters rejected it. And so uh, the city council could just do it then. But sounds like that's not in it. All right. Well, plenty to watch. Um, just before we go out to, um, I, I want to say again, uh, and I don't say this to brag, honestly, and it's, you know, it's the INA Awards. It's not like it's the Oscars, but we're proud of the honor and and, and I'm proud of the gang here. Um, and also, hey, just wanted to highlight that the, the good news didn't stop there. Um, the Gazette's team won uh, first place for coverage of government and politics. So we're very excited and proud of that. So, uh, and that includes Caleb uh, as well for his contributions to our work. So uh, a great team award there too. Jared, you guys did well at the Sioux City Journal, right? Best newspaper website. There you go, which I know you do a lot. Of, folks may not know this. Jared puts a lot of work into the site there. So congratulations to you, Jared. Thank you. And uh, we also had uh, for our very own uh, Nick Hittrick a uh, first place finish for uh, best news uh, feature story. So exciting. Nice. Nice. Awesome. We can't forget our, our missing Sarah Watson, uh, best uh, one of the three outstanding young journalists, uh, and Bailey as well. Uh, and um, Sarah also, with a number of other um, uh, quality time supporters, uh, re received some great awards for coverage of the uh, building collapse in Davenport. Um, last yes. Year. Yes, oh, despite uh, what one Twitter beef, uh, uh, INA saw clear through that and uh, recognized the quality times did a great job. Sorry, go ahead, Jared. I was just going to say, and one more thing, and Aaron's probably going to hate this, but uh, this podcast would not be possible without him, and he makes everyone's job a hell of a lot easier. <laughs> Aaron does hate that, but he appreciates it uh, very sincerely. Uh, thank, thank you very much. It's uh, – it's easy to be a team leader when your team's as awesome as this group is. So uh, I appreciate that. And yeah, Caleb, you, you stole it from me. I was going to mention Bailey too. So excited for Bailey's honors. Well-deserved. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't just go around saying it because, because I have to, because I want people to click on our stuff and, and it sounds better if I think they're good. We got a great team here. We got a great team at the Gazette. We love working with all the lead folks that we have. Um, it makes it easy coming to work every day in a job that isn't always otherwise easy so so moments like this it's it's good to kind of soak that all in and, and enjoy it so uh congratulations again to everybody uh that'll do it for this episode of on iowa politics if you're not already please subscribe to us on your streaming service of choice you can also find the podcast each week on your preferred gazette or lead newspaper website and then you can go around and tell people that you listen to the award-winning on iowa politics podcast and now that you've listened to that podcast, make sure you're also subscribed to the On Iowa Politics newsletter, where every morning in your inbox you'll receive all the latest politics and government coverage from our team. You can subscribe to that free newsletter at the Gazette's website, thegazette.com. And as soon as the INA adds a newsletter category, I am confident the On Iowa Politics newsletter will be a winner. <laughs> and lastly, don't forget that the work of everyone you heard here today can be found on the pages and websites of the Quad City Times, Muscatine Journal, Cedar Rapids Gazette, Waterloo Cedar Falls Courier, Mason City Globe Gazette, Council Bluff Daily Nonpareil, and Sioux City Journal. 
so close. Free by Tone DeBoss is playing us out this week. If you know an Iowa band or musician who should be featured on the podcast, please send us a sound file. For Tom Barton, Caleb McCullough, Sarah Watson, even though she's not here today, Jared McNett, Todd Dorman, and our producer Bailey Chihan, I'm Aaron Murphy. Thank you for listening. Can't get enough of the Gazette? Listen to the Gazette Daily News podcast for the latest Eastern Iowa headlines packed into bite-sized stories. Listen at thegazette.com or Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or through your Amazon Alexa device. Tell it to enable the Gazette Daily News skill, then say, Alexa, what's my flash briefing?